Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. In the last 30 odd years of bouncing about this industry, this is probably the best time I've ever seen for operators to make new connections with people that they may be not be able to make connections with pre-COVID. Yeah. Because one, you know, it's like once you've got a, a supplier, once you've embedded, you've been working with them for years and years and years, it's really hard to dislodge if you're offering, the, offering similar services or similar products. It's quite hard to dislodge those embedded relationships. Now with a broken, broken supply chain in a lot of cases around the world, there's all these gaps in supply chains now. So yeah. it, it seems to me that this is probably the best time ever to be doing face-to-face at events and, and filling gaps that are there because they are set of circumstances. Good afternoon, Tourpreneurs. Yet another episode of the Tourpreneur podcast from me, my Peter Syme. Today, I'm into, welcome to introduce Mark Wright from the adventureconnection.com. Mark has been around business-to-business travel and the adventure sector of what we do for many years, probably as much as myself, maybe even more. Mark started in 1986 with Explore Worldwide. He stayed with them for about 20 years. If I remember, Mark, I can remember an office of Explore in a little street in Aldershot uh, going back. I was running about in uniform at that time, and I can remember this. I think it was the very first Explore office. After Explore, Mark went on to found the adventure company, which he then sold about a decade later to a much larger travel company. He was the MD of Chameleon Travel for about 10 years, and since 2016, Mark has been running the Adventure Connection, which is a specialized B2B marketing agency, marketing consultancy, strategic planning, and representation, which we're here to talk about today. Did I get most of that right? You've been around a long time, so I may have missed a few things out. You, uh, yes, that is right. Thank you very much, uh, Peter. Um, uh, except you did add in 10 extra years uh, along the way. I'm not that old. So, yeah, I've been in, in this industry for 36 years. Uh, 1986 was when I entered and, and started off working for Explore Worldwide in that little street in, in Aldershot, indeed. I'm just adding in 10 extra years because it's great to have someone who's been around longer than me because everybody in the community thinks I'm ancient, which I'm not. I've just had a very hard life. Yeah. And I've run around Aldershot when I was still a kid, so that tells you how hard a life it was if you remember what Aldershot was. Yes, I do. And that was my first job in travel. I learned a lot. Yeah, lot. yeah it's still a good company. For our North American listeners, Explored Worldwide is still that company is still going. I think it does about 6,000 multi-day customers a week. Is that correct? I wouldn't know the numbers. When I left, it was, we, we 
When I first got there, we were doing about 3,000 passengers a year. And I was there 10 years. Um, and by the time I left, we were doing about 15,000. Yeah. So that it grew quite nicely and, and it became the, the world market leader at that time. Yeah. Other companies came along later, like Exodus and Intrepid and G Adventures and, and kind of went further in terms of adventure travel. But they were the market leaders at that point. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been around a long time. I always watch with the, the, them, between them and Explore and Exodus, because obviously both UK, I've always tracked them up. My connection was obviously, I was in the military at that time in Aldershot, but I was already traveling abroad and leading expeditions, adventure expeditions for the military at that time. So to see it on the high street being retailed as a holiday was a, was a, of interest to me because I was not commercial at all at the time. Uh, but to say, well, look, I've just come back from Nepal and there's people selling adventure holidays. So that was one of the very first indicators to me that there was a possible lifestyle in this industry after after the military. And I'm, I, I was similar. I'd been off backpacking for two years, traveling around the world. Came back from one, one of my favorite experiences was trekking in the Himalayas in, in Nepal. And, and, and that's when I got the idea, you know, can I make a living out of this? And... Um, you know, start offering trips for, for travelers. When I got back to the UK, I realized there's half a dozen or so companies, not that many, were already doing it. So I thought, well, let's join one and learn the ropes before before I did it myself. Yeah, and a blink of the eyelid, here we are 30 odd years later, a bit grayer, a bit wiser, maybe not wiser, just a bit grayer. So over the last few weeks and over the last few months within the community, we've been getting communities here to answer questions but we constantly get questions around business to business events and i know you're a specialist in business to business should i go to this event should i go to that event what's the benefits what's the downsides what's the costs yeah and we've had some podcasts on previously talking about events and the the upside of going to them i'm a big fan but there is some downsides of not being done correctly as well but your business at the moment does something that not many of our members are aware of happens and the ones that are aware of it may have not used for quite a long time, and it's called representation. Could you just tell us what representation is, Mark? Yeah, it's um, in in a very simple form. It's um, it's a company like ours um, acting on behalf of the, the the local operator, the DMC, whatever you like to call them, the inbound tour operator, um, to help them get the connections into a market like the UK market. So um, representation is about us being you or us being them to to help them to get those um, those connections which they badly need from the outbound tour operators here, the ones that are sending passengers overseas, and we're helping to to make that fit. We often call ourselves a dating agency. We're like, you know, we we say it's like Tinder for travel. So on the one side of the equation, you've got these great little operators who are providing amazing experiences in country. On the other side of the equation, you've got the outbound tour operators who are looking for those experiences, but don't necessarily always find them. And they, they will often go to events, they will go to shows, trade, trade events, or even B2C uh, events looking for product. And at the same time, the local guys who are running the experiences, the DMCs, will come to those same shows. So we help put them together. 
and uh, and I would say going to shows is one of the best ways of uh, of both of those connections happening. But in COVID times, a lot of people didn't go to shows. They were going to virtual events and virtual shows, and that actually was pretty successful. Uh, up to a point, I'm a big believer in face-to-face, -face, but um, I think you get more work done and more connections made if you're able to, to come face-to-face -to, -face to an event and meet the operator that's going to be selling your product. Yeah, for sure. And, and a lot of our community, particularly the ones that have started in the last five, six, seven years, we keep ranting on at them that they don't have a big enough distribution portfolio. They're doing a lot direct or they're doing a lot through online agencies, uh, but not enough of them, two or three or four or five, and they haven't got a big enough breadth of distribution that builds in resilience to business and builds in uh, safety, basically. Yeah. But a lot of them are finding it hard to find these connections with other operators. And to emphasize to our, to our community, if you find a tour operator who's going to distribute your product for you at one of these events, I know from personal history and all of connections is to that relationship can last 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. So then when you work through the numbers, your cost of acquisition of finding a partner is then laid off 10 to 15 to 20 years. You're basically buying sales for not a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it takes, it can take a few years to, uh, of coming to those events as well. Or for that to, it doesn't just happen immediately. And again, a representation company like ours can try to continue the conversation after you might have gone back home. You've come come over to London maybe for an event. Uh, you've met a couple of tour operators. You thought, okay, that was a good conversation. And then I've seen it time and again. They come back the next year and they carry on the same conversation, but it's not led anywhere. Yeah. So it's really important to keep the dialogue going. And that's why representation companies... Um, exist to keep that, keep the conversation alive and make sure that, that, you know, both sides are doing what they said they were going to do. You won't believe how many companies come along to a show. They say they're going to send them an itinerary or the, the operator says, yeah, we'll send you the dates and the itinerary that we want. And then nothing happens. Which is amazing when you think how much people invest both in time and money going to shows, especially if you're a small operator where it's coming straight out of your pocket. You're not an employee of a much bigger company. It's coming straight out of your pocket. I know from doing it, it's an expensive investment, but then we're not getting the follow-up. That I mean, I was speaking to an operator the other day, one of our members who's based in Indonesia, who's seriously considering world travel market uh, in London, but the expense of him and one other coming across, we all know what happens to the hotels when that's on, the flights, it's just such a big investment for them. And this yeah. is where I was introducing the concept of representation. Uh, so could you kind of just talk through the range of services that you would offer small operators uh, so, the, so the listeners can get a picture of representation as a whole, not just standing on a stand at a trade show on their behalf, but all the background work it also goes on. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's it. I'm glad you asked that question because we we actually say that we're not really just a representation company. Um, that, and there are pure representation who will just be like your agent in this country. Um, we, we essentially offer 
everything that I've learned over those 30 years as a chore operator, we offer that as a service. So we will help people with their websites to get the, the, the style of writing, the copy right for the right messages that are going to connect into the market. We'll help them produce videos. We'll help them to come to events and get meetings. Uh, we, the, the representation probably represents about 70% of what we do. And that work is picking the phone up to, to tour operators, trying to get them interested in the, the experiences that are on offer. Um, we'll be making meetings. We'll be um, helping facilitate those conversations I talked about that may have already begun, but we'll be asking them, well, what, what's happened with the itinerary that you were promised or what's happened with the contract you were going to send them? So we're just constantly moving along. Again, go back to the matchmaker. It's like saying, how did the date go? Did you like each other? Do you want to meet up again? If, a lot of the time we can stand back because it's a hot date and they're, you know, they're, 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 they're falling in love and it's all happening. But a lot of the time we're just having to nudge things along. And we often say we don't try and break the door down. We just knock gently every week to, um, to just check you know, what's going on in the, uh, in uh, particularly on the tour operator side, because they're very busy people and they need just chasing up. Yeah. So what are, one of the things that they, certainly the operators who are not experienced with going to events, but they're interested in going to events, there is a big underappreciation of how much, how much work's involved pre-event and post-event. All the focus is on the two, three days at the event where you're chatting to so many people, everybody's so busy and people got big smiles on their faces. I don't know if you were at WTM this year, but it was it was crazy and I've never seen people so happy with the amount of business they were doing. But the amount of work pre-event and the amount of work post-event dictates the success of yeah. the event. Yeah, yeah. So pre-event, we're, um, we're usually... We we start for WTM, uh, which is in early November. We start at the end of August, getting meetings in the diary for the, the clients that are coming over. So we we had eighteen clients from around the world all coming over to WTM this year. Um, that was probably the busiest we've ever had. Um, we also ran an event while we we're at the show. We had seventy operators come along to that event. Um, so we filled diaries. We aim to get between 10 and 20 meetings for every client and quality meetings as well with tour operators. Um, so a lot of the work is just getting those meetings in the diary, but then we're also preparing our clients, making sure they've got a pretty slick sales presentation ready on their laptop that they can in five minutes give the tour operator the information they need about the the style of experience or activity or whatever it is that they're offering so there's all that preparation going on before we will then sometimes sit in on the meetings as well just to make sure things are going smoothly particularly if it's an important operator and we don't want that opportunity to to you know to pass um and then after the after all the um uh, the meetings have happened that's where it often falls down. So we're, we're kind of hassling and making sure, have they done their follow-ups? Have they got some sample 
email templates ready to send out straight away afterwards. Um, and they're all tailored. So it's not just a banging up a template that's pretty meaningless. It's, it's tailoring the template and making sure that can be done efficiently within about a week of the show finishing. Even if it's only, it's, it's, I always say it's better to do a short, sharp email of a couple of paragraphs. Um, some people wait and then they send a great long email, which the tour operator never reads because there's too much information. Yeah. So it's better to be little and often and get the dialogue going after the, sh the show um, to continue, you know, if, if they've had a good conversation when they met. So yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the pre preparation and the follow-up is, is absolutely vital. There's almost no point in coming if you don't do the follow-up. Yeah. I, I have been saying that on our coaching sessions that if you're not going to do the work pre and the follow-up, don't spend the money and going to an event because you're, you're basically just going to a social exercise that's going to cost you thousands of dollars just for a social exercise. If you're not going to do the, the work pre and post. Some people really do just that. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, they want to kind of network, but without any any real gain from it. Yeah, one of the things that was brought up on one of your coaching calls last week or the week before has been brought up a couple of times, uh, and I don't want to bring up the COVID word because we've all had enough of it. But a lot of relationships were broken during COVID. A lot. Mm. Sometimes. And because the operators weren't up for the job, a lot of the times just because of the nature of COVID, businesses went out of business. Businesses who were large were suddenly small. Businesses couldn't get back into business because of all the different different stages of restrictions all over the world. So my point was, in the last 30 odd years of bounce about this industry, this is probably the best time I've ever seen for operators to make new connections with people that they maybe not be able to make connections with pre-COVID yeah because one you know it's like once you've got a, a supplier once you're embedded you've been working with them for years and years and years it's really hard to dislodge if you're offering the offering similar services or similar products it's quite hard to dislodge those embedded relationships but now with a broken broken supply chain in a lot of cases around the world there's all these gaps in supply chains now so yeah. it, it seems to me that this is probably the best time ever to be doing face-to-face -face at events and, and filling gaps that are there because they are set of circumstances. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and there's another side to that as well because the supply chain is a bit damaged, uh, to say the least, but also um, the, the tour operators, they've gone through a lot of change. People have left, people have changed job, people have been recruited. Um, and suddenly we're finding the product manager who knew all about, let's say, Latin America or Africa or North America or wherever. Suddenly you've got somebody new in the position and they don't know it so well. They're often coming to us saying, okay, where have you got in certain destination? Who, who have you got? And uh, because they don't know it so well. So you've got both sides are, are a bit damaged. Yeah. And uh, I think you're right. Coming to events, using you know marketing representation companies to help create those relationships is uh, is better now. Certainly, so we're now busier. We have more clients than we've ever had in our history. So that that you know can't prove the point. It's it's more necessary. We're running a lot of fan trips as well. 
Yeah. Um, so for people who don't know what that is, familiarization trips um, are fairly proven way of getting tour operators to experience the product in destination, um, but also build a relationship whilst they're in destination with the local operator. Um, and that brings quite a lot of both, um, both the DMCs or inbound operators on one side and the tour operators coming to us to say, okay, we want to go to Cuba. When, when are you next running a, a fan trip? So th this is another kind of part of, you know, being uh, in representation is looking at all the angles that are going to bring the operators and the providers together. Are you seeing from the buyers, the big tour operators buying and the small experience guys, are you seeing any changes in the actual product, what they're looking for and what type of experiences they're buying in? Is, is there any trends, any changes that you're, that you're seeing in, in that? Yeah. Um, well, last year, tour operators were very cautious and they weren't really looking at that much in terms of new product um, or new destinations, unless it was kind of seen as safe. Um, and a lot of them were looking at Europe in particular. Um, they were looking at more known, well-established destinations and they weren't going so far off the beaten track. Um, they kind of just wanted to play it safe because they knew their clients were also wanting to play it safe. So last year, probably more than ever I can remember, we had, you know, Europe was just so, so busy in terms of demand. Now we made introductions from our, one of our clients in Croatia. We made uh, about five or six introductions I think all six of them, maybe five out of the six, um, actually then featured the programs. And he, this uh, 2022, had his busiest ever year, you know, way above anything that happened pre-COVID. So, and, and I, I, we have other clients in Europe, in um, Finland, in Slovenia, in a few other destinations, and they have been saying the same. So, you're the Europe definitely had the lion's share, I think, from the UK market. Uh, what we're seeing now is the tour operators are beginning to look further afield. They're starting to look at Latin America again. They're starting to look at Africa again, um, Asia. And it's it's beginning to open up in terms of long haul more, more than it did last year. Um, there's still a few destinations, I think, that are really off the beaten track, but people are still concerned about, they're not sure. They just don't know what the infrastructure is like. Yeah. They don't know how badly COVID hit that country. So that's, they're, they're not so worried about getting COVID anymore. It's more worried about, well, what's it like in that destination? Are the actual experiences, have you seen any changes on the ground from what the operators are changing the product mix to the experiences? There's been a lot of talk about sustainability and environmentalism. Uh, huge amounts of talk. I've on record multiple times of saying 99.9% .9 of the talk is just that talk because it's not backed up with any action. Are you seeing any demand from the bigger operators for more sustainable products? Not really, I have to say, unfortunately. 
Um, I I think there's a lot of lip service still going on out there. Um, I'm delighted that there's some operators who are really taking a, a stand on sustainability, doing very well. Um, company called Much Better Adventures, you probably know them. You know, they've taken a fantastic stand on sustainability and are doing extremely well. Um, but but I I don't think it's as much as as I'd like it to be. I think there's there's still a long way to go. And I think people, you know, I'm not. I don't think people are just making it up. I think they want to do the right thing, but they just get back into the old habit of right, you know, getting people on the, you know, bums on seats, keeping profits, you know, keeping costs down, etc. And then not converting it into um, into reality. In, in in the majority of cases, unfortunately, and it's also. I mean, the endless measurement systems, that's one of the issues. There are just too many systems and certifications. But it is really hard to measure, truthfully, the impact of that experience, that break, because you haven't got control of, as a tour operator, you haven't got complete control of all the inputs. And you, you can sort of look up the flight contribution, you can sort of look up the hotel contribution, but that will be very wide because you, you don't have all the hotel information. And you... You don't know where the food that the customers, is it imported food? So every single part of a person's experience has a footprint. And it's really, really hard as a tour operator to work all that stuff out. Yeah. I think I think the one thing that probably has changed, you know, for the better is the, the tour operators, when they're choosing their DMCs, they, they are looking for sustainability as one of their credentials. And... If they don't deliver, if they say, yes, we're sustainable, you know, when we're, we don't have single use plastic, we minimize carbon emissions, we have local community involvement, etc. If they then don't deliver on that, they are likely to get dropped because they know most, most tour operators will have a following from their public, from their clients. Um, and if they they see the wrong thing being done in destination, they will complain about that. They'll report back. So I think there's been a, a genuine, genuine influence over a period of what five, ten, maybe longer years, um, and it is making a difference. But I don't think, I don't think the tour operators are sort of going for a DMC because they are more sustainable than another one. They're almost expecting all of the DMCs to be ticking the boxes in terms of sustainability, um, not necessarily making a straight choice between one and another based on sustainability. Are you seeing, I know in a past life, you were one of the first ones that focused on family adventure travel. Uh, are you seeing any niches in the market that are like trends again, more niches. I know. I know. Family travel had a bounce back because of COVID. Yeah. Are there any others other niches that you're seeing happening? Well, families was definitely one we noticed, um, and we know a couple of tour operators who are specialising in that. And because I, you know, I did it in my past life, I, um, I kind of particularly picked up on that. And uh, so, families was probably the the one that I would have said, but you put the words into my mouth. I'm trying to think. What else is, um, 
I mean, sort of outdoor activity, being in the outdoors, people, you know, just being outside, whether they're cycling, kayaking, walking, that seems to be very popular still at the moment. I haven't got numbers on how much more it is than than it was pre-COVID, but my sense is people perhaps more appreciate the outdoors more, uh, having had it all taken away from them for two years that they couldn't go out and they got stuck in cities and couldn't go traveling. Yeah, for sure. It is up for, for sure. that there's, I've seen the data on it. It's up double figures. Uh, so it's a, whether it maintains that, that's, that's a question. My gut feel is it probably will uh, because there's just a whole trend to that. Uh, the one thing I'm not clear is on the demographics of the people taking part in that growth. Because I'm seeing, I'm seeing it mostly across the board. To be honest, you're getting older people like us who are fitter and healthier than probably what our parents were at this age. So they're they're taking part, and then you've got younger ones taking part as well. So I think the demographics are evenly split. Are you seeing anything with demographics with those you're representing for us? Are any changes? Um, well, there's certainly an emerging market of the sort of 30s, 40s. Um, that was a market that was ignored by a lot of people for many years. Everyone was going for the 50 pluses because the, the logic was they've got more time, more money to spend. And so that's, that's your market. Yeah. But, um, companies that have been focusing more on the 30, 40 end seem to have been doing very well. Um, and there's another, th th there is one other trend that definitely emerged this year, which, uh, I, I can't put a, a name on it, but people doing four or five trips in a year rather than you know perhaps one or two which would have been common pre-covid and whether that's just catching up on what they missed but I've, i'm definitely seeing that more and more that sometimes tour operators have got a smaller client base but they're carrying more people yeah that's maybe i mean again i can't prove this we have got some day on it but there's a lot of people because of the work from home or hybrid work who are traveling more than they would for leisure, but they're working when they're, they're also working when they're traveling on some of them breaks. Yeah. So that, that I, I do believe that those numbers taken on a global perspective, when you look at them, because it's hundreds of millions, mm -hmm. they, they have to impact on the travel industry. I mean, obviously business travel is down across the board, but we've got this whole new version of how people are living and working at yeah. a, a scale of hundreds of millions. Therefore that has to have impact on travel somehow. Yeah. Yeah, the the other sort of subset within the families, sort of subset, um, there's always niches within niches, and yeah. multi generational. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So where you've got you know granny and grandpa going with with kids and grandchildren, and that seems to be a, a that that was happening to an extent before, but it seems to have happened even more post COVID. Again, yeah. realizing how precious family time is together. Yeah, and from an operator's perspective, fantastic bookings, because the average value of that booking is just increased by a significant margin. Yeah. And often when that happens as well, certainly when I've been looking at it, if Granny and Grand has gone along, if they weren't there, the hotel choice or the lodge choice may have been X standard, but if Granny and Grand has gone on along, it often goes up a standard, so the, the actual spend is even higher. Yeah. Yeah, well, these, the, I think because I was a tour operator, I used to be very good at spotting these niches, and I think I still am. 
and and we still advise on it with our with our clients when we're talking to um, I mean I just did a couple of days overseas just purely advising on strategy for a, a local DMC and and one of the first things is like make sure you're clear on what niches you can provide for and then you may have you may think you've only got one or two kind of core products but actually they can be applied maybe to families maybe to more active people uh possibly to schools or or challenges expeditions um so just be really clear on what niches you're aiming for and then make sure you've got ready-made products so that if an operator does come to you you've got something to send them as an example straight away every operator will want to tweak the itinerary that you that the dmc sends them in the first place yeah but it's giving them a it's, it's a having a starting point ready um and i don't know if i've mentioned that we have this thing called the dmc best practice toolkit um which we uh we, we developed during COVID, during downtime in the first six months. And uh, it was something we'd been already advising our um, our DMC clients on various things, including service levels and product development and safety uh, compliance, all of those kind of things. But we've now put it all into what we call the toolkit, uh, which is a series of documents. And I uh, deliver it through webinars uh, or sometimes face to face, um, to kind of prepare them for the, giving them the best opportunity. We always say, you know, we take them from good to great yeah. as, uh, as a DMC. And if they, if they need help, mo most DMCs I ever come across, they're good in, they might be really good on their, their product and they're in the field, but maybe their safety standards aren't so good or their service levels aren't so good. Or their marketing materials aren't so good, and it's usually a kind of fairly broad, rounded package that ticks the boxes for the tour operators. Um, because at the end of the day, there you've got a product manager who's got to put this trip together based on what the DMC sends them, and they've got boxes to tick, um, and they can't get through it unless all the boxes are ticked. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Going back to representation, thinking of our operators in the community, if they were to go out looking for representation companies and they wanted to speak to a few, what's the sort of questions an operator should be asking representation companies? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say, you know, can can they give any examples of companies that they're working with who would be able to say what the company is like to work with um and and can they show results of of what they've been able to do for them yeah so you know and it it takes time i think everybody should understand if they're thinking about you know using a representation company and um, it probably isn't going to all happen in the first six months yeah. it can take easily a year you know, it can it can take three or four months, but usually within a year you've started to get the results. So yeah, asking them have they got results and asking them for testimonials from clients. Ask to speak directly to clients who are working with the representation company. 
And yeah. if, if they've had a good experience, they will quite, you know, happily share that experience. Um, and the, the representation company should be pretty open. I think about letting, letting the, the potential customer talk to past customers. Yeah, for not open, it's, it's always a signal. I think, I mean, that another, another thing would just make sure that the representation has got, understands that the industry really well and has actually worked in product development because the, the, the job of the product development manager is, you know, it's kind of filled with usually any typical product manager working for a tour operator, they might have 20 or 30 new trips they're developing in a year, as well as all of their existing um, suppliers that they're working with, maybe just keeping the same itinerary, getting recosted and replanned with all any logistical changes that are going on. So a product manager is a busy person. Um, and I think you've got to really understand the mindset of what a product manager does before you can approach them. And that is often one of the problems with, um, you know, DMCs coming over, say for one show, they think it's just going to happen straight away after one meeting. And it, it generally doesn't. Now, every now and again, it does, if you're lucky, you know, mostly it's, it's the groundwork, like we were saying before, before and after and during those shows to, to make it work. Yeah, I've always took the view based on learning from doing it wrongly and doing it correct sometimes that I always looked at it as a 24-month investment in when I go to events. If I was going there to open relationships, business relations, I always look at a 24-month cycle. So you're always working 24 months ahead of where you, you want to be. Uh, like if you were at WGM in 2022, like you're really working on 2024 onwards. It is that type of long sub cycle. Uh, especially on multi-day itinerary and bedding down the partnership and bedding down the, the relationship. Sometimes for day tour operators, because you do, 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 you can do day tour operating businesses there. Like you said, it can it can happen quicker. Uh, I can remember way back in the early 2000s, been to shows in London for my day operation, not my multi-day operation. We picked up partners and within weeks they were trading with us and they continued to trade with us for 20 years. Uh, so sometimes it can work. Yeah. Like you said, there is a bit of luck sometimes, but you make your own luck if you show up and you're there and you're doing it and you've done the groundwork beforehand, reaching out, making sure you've got the appointments, which is critical. Never go to a show that you want to sell unless your diary's full. If you get all of them appointments, there is a hit rate and it is a bit of a numbers game. The more you do them, the more you get out. But I do think operators need to train their mind that this is a 12 to 24 month cycle of business but i keep coming back to it 10 years 15 years 20 years of repeat business yeah. more than more than justifies that effort yeah and the 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 one i mentioned um the guy in croatia one of the introductions the, the partners we gave him he put on 25 departures last year alone and they've just increased that to 38 departures for 2023 yeah that's yeah, that's you know that's one of the bigger ones, but um, and if that keeps going for another five years, which I don't see why it wouldn't, you know, it's going to really give him the confidence to to grow his business. It's yeah. a it's a fantastic base to work from. So you're you're 
you know, representation company specialist in a in a certain niche. Is there lots of the other representation companies in, in niches as well? There seem to be quite a lot of um, smaller, like say, Africa specialists or yeah. smaller Latin America specialists. Uh, a few Asia specialists as well, but I think we're the only one that's done it for adventure. I kind of, you know, was in adventure travel for thirty years and thought there's a bit of a gap here, so. When the right moment came along, I thought, well, I'll, I'll fill that gap and invent a job for myself. Yeah. So, um, so that's where the adventure connection came from. And, yeah. uh, it seems to have been very popular. I'm bit, I was quite surprised how, how popular it was. Well, the, the venture sector is growing, outgrowing the rest of travel. So you, you should be all right for the rest of your, your days on the planet. The growth is there. So um, I mean, there are the, like hotel specialists, there, there are some quite large mainstream um, representation companies as well, Avia Reps and a couple of really big names, which I, you know, I don't have that much contact with that side of the industry, but it's very much your mainstream, um, companies really. And will a representation company have a list of events already pre-planned that HIT will go to every year? We, um, well, in our experience, we have a, a list that's usually too long for us to attend every single single one of them. Mm. We would probably go to between six and ten per year, um, and it's some of the big ones like WTM and ITB, but also you know smaller specialist shows as well, and um, like Lata Expo or Adventure Travel Network, and uh, Experience Africa. Those, and then and then there are other. Um, Yes, I think there's a the coming of age of smaller specialist shows, and that's um, I think that's a very welcome change that's been happening over probably ten years or so, um, and I think you tend to get um, specialist buyers and specialist sellers coming together at those shows. Don't get so many of the generalists; the the big guys don't necessarily always go. To those small specialist shows, but um, I certainly think that's a, you know, a, a, a welcome um, uh, move that's been happening. Um, and like I said, I'm still a big fan of face to face as opposed to online. But there is a place for both, and we've all learned that. You know, we're sit sitting here having a conversation from one end of the country to the other, um, and it it works extremely well. But I think business gets done by coming to shows. Yeah, there's obviously we were all forced into this with COVID, but coming out here and I've been to a lot of events since since COVID. It's the automatic thing to me now is to follow up in the medium we're doing. You get on a video call straight after, and and so you're following up to keep that relationship that you opened at the show to to keep it going. That that's the yeah, that's the natural progression of it, which is. It's better than just that bland email or that uh, phone call. The the video to follow up with the relationship you're on is the obvious one. Yeah, yeah. And there's a there's some times of year when it's um it's better to approach operators as well. We we produce a little infographic uh, called the product um, life cycle, and it shows the traditional pattern of how it always used to be back in like the old days, but when I first came into the industry and probably when you did. Um, it was a very 
tried and tested. January and February were the selling months. Then you started to look at new products around about March, April, May. Um, and that's why things like ITB always happen at that time of year. Then you did your contracting, your, your uh, preparation, June, July, August for a launch of a brochure, probably September or October. And then you had WTM coming along in November, the beginning of ideas for new products for the following year. Um, but you couldn't do too much then because you know you're going to get into the big selling season in yeah. January and February. Now, that, that cycle still exists. And it's not so pronounced in some companies as it as it is in others, but it's a really useful one to know that if you try, for instance, to knock on the door of a tour operator from this time of year, mid-January, when we're recording this, through to about the end of February, it's going to be really hard because they're so busy with sales. Um, but you'll know that there'll probably be a lull around about yeah April time. And that is a good time to be approaching operators. So knowing this this kind of pattern uh, really does help, I think. Um, and again, that's the sort of input a representation company should be able to give you. Don't don't go charging down the door at a time when they're going to barricade you out. Um, just go and knock at a time when the door's open. Yeah, I think your points there are probably more relevant now for the simple fact, unless something's changed recently. A lot of operators are operating with a lot less staff than they were pre. Yeah. So the staff they have got are even busier than they've ever been. So timing of approach is more critical in the world we've moved into than it was previously. Yeah. Yeah. And we noticed that. And sometimes, you know, like a product manager was looking after, say, just Africa. They're now looking after Africa and Asia and Middle East. Yeah. You know, they've, got, they've got a lot more to do. That's a lot of work. And, we can see, we can see the impact of that in the industry. We've all got a responsibility. This is the industry can't continue with the staffing levels it's got at the moment. We have to get more staff attracted back into the travel industry. Um, all the talk about artificial intelligence technology—it's still a human-led business that we do need humans in the industry. Yeah, we're in it. Okay, Mark, thanks very much for your advice and your insights into representation. It's a subject I'm sure a lot of your operators are interested in. I know a lot of your operators are interested in, but weren't really clear about So hopefully we've cleared up some of that there. So thanks very much for your input. Thank you. And I'd, uh, I'd also add that if anybody does want, you know, you know, intelligence on what's going on in the market, we do produce a, a market report once every six months. So if anybody wants to get hold of, of that, we can, you know, just send it out, just, just reach out to me and uh, we'd be happy to send that to people. So that's great. So if you want to get hold of that report, just contact Matt Wright at theadventureconnection.com and we'll see you again, Matt. Thanks very much. Thank you, Peter.